listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast with your host, Timothy Lambert Monk. Yes, we welcome you in to this very special bonus episode, a Christmas episode, if you will, of the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Thank you all so much for joining us. I know it's Christmas time and you're all spending time with your family, but we like to consider ourselves our family as well. So thank you to each one, every one of you, and we hope that you'll have a nice Christmas. I know someone that will probably be hoping for some wide receivers for Christmas is Adam Wolford, a Cincinnati Bengals fan. Adam, we welcome you in, as we always do. Um, not a great week last week, but uh, like yeah, like I say, what would you rather? A good week this week on the betting front or some wide receivers for Cincinnati Bengals? Uh, well, our season's over, so uh, yeah, good, a few good wins on the betting front. <laughs> As you say, Christmas is coming up, which means family time, but... There's a ton of NFL on as well, so you've got to get uh, got to get my fix as well. Yeah, absolutely. Before we get into next, uh, this week's betting, let's go. Let's have a quick recap of last week's. Not really too much to shout home about, apart from uh, Seattle letting us down. Uh, I think I'd, I, did they let you down for your for your fourfold as well? They did. Uh, as I mentioned last week, I should probably give up if I can't land the fourfold at two and a half to one, uh, which I kind of. Come back to bit me up, bite me on the arse a bit there. <laughs> yeah. uh, I am not going to give up. I am going to carry on and plug on and get some winners this week. I did land my nap um, to keep up a bit of a nap streak. I know that we've been doing well on them this year. Yeah, yeah, and like I say, Adam, the de- degenerates never give up betting, so uh, we will we will keep on going till till the end. Uh, but yeah, yeah, Seattle doing this both for our money line. Seattle also doing uh, sc- uh, scuppering my handicap. Which would have been a very nice profit for the week had those two come in. Uh, Any time touchdowns, I think I had two out of three. Brandon Cooks letting me down as well. Uh, I think New England, Pittsburgh, killing both of our totals. Uh, I had a couple of outsiders that came in, Jacksonville and Diddy Westbrook. Uh, D- Jacksonville's special teams was Diddy Westbrook, so two for the price of one there, which is always good. Uh, Joe Mixon, of course, Adam was your nap, so that that came in. My nap was Seattle. Again, didn't win, so Seattle really did a number on me last week. Uh, probably, probably too many eggs in one basket there, or maybe too many chocolates in a sele- one selection box, perhaps, is the uh, the apt term for this time of year. Uh, but my next best, DeAndre Hopkins, any time touchdown scorer, was in quite early. Uh, my upset as well, Tennessee. Shutting out the Giants away from home, yeah. which wasn't too bad. Uh, overall, uh, profit on the season between the two of us is still 65 points in the black, so that is always good to hear. Um, yeah, let's look ahead to week 16 then, Adam. What um, you feeling lucky this week, or we, how, what's, what's the vibes in the camp? I Originally, I wasn't. I thought I'd um, been listening to a few things. I looked through at the spreads, and I thought, oh, pretty tough, but I've managed to come up with... Quite a few that I'm, I'm actually mildly confident on. I quite like many times this week. Um, quite a few decent short-priced ones out there already. Mm. Um, so, yeah, let's mm. uh, bring it on. Yeah, just before we get into those, don't forget uh, Adam has his his column that is more than informative. It's a shame uh, the, the Carolina-New Orleans uh, column. Because uh, you were pretty spot on with that. You said unders and, and Caroline on the handicap. And that now it's just, it's just a shame that, you know, you cover you cover everything and you, you, you plump for the ones you're most confident about and it's the ones that you don't pick that seem to come in. Yeah, that does seem to be the story of my season. It, it's a tough one because I can't really claim that I knew exactly what I was doing with it. But like you said, I did say I leaned to the Panthers covering a spread and unders on the total. Yeah. Um, and then I said Cam Newton to throw an interception, which happened. I mentioned Christian McCaffrey getting his receiving yards, but again, I didn't back that one either. Mm, yeah. So yeah, I can't really claim all the ones that I mentioned because I mentioned quite a few that lose as well. Yeah. Obviously, yeah, absolutely. You get selective, but yeah, you've got to be honest with these things, haven't you? Oh yeah, absolutely. It's all about transparency. You know, it's it's quite common for a gambler or like a a mug punter, if you like. He'll always tell you the winners he has, but he never tells you how many losers he has, does he? But so it's always good to kind of... The thing is, as well, you kind of have to use it as a learning process as well. You know, why didn't something happen and kind of make yourself a better punter or even from a fantasy perspective as well, similar similar lines on that on that front. But so, yeah, one, the one market I struggled with this week was the totals, which we'll get onto in a little bit. But uh, let's start off, like we always do, Adam, with a money line. Yep, my money line for this week, I've got the Chargers home to Baltimore. I've got the... Browns at home to the Bengals, I've got the Eagles um, home to the Texans, and I've got the Vikings at Detroit, mm. and that is 3.76 to 1 on Betfair. Uh, the Chargers are a very good team, obviously they beat the Chiefs last week, they're still chasing that number, well, chasing the division win and the number one seed yeah. in the AFC, so they're going to be up for it. I think Baltimore will keep it close, but... I think the Chargers, with Melvin Gordon back, have got too much for them. Uh, the Browns, like you said, 
uh, or insinuated the Bengals do not have any wide receivers and the Browns are they're not very happy with Hugh Jackson still no. uh, they led 28-0 in the first game against the Bengals at Cincinnati and I can see that kind of scoreline happening again mm. um, the Eagles versus Texans is a tough one to be honest but I just I I don't know I, for some reason I just think the Eagles are going to pull it out of the bag this week um, and the Vikings are on the road against a divisional rival, but it's a divisional rival who is not very good. Mm. So, yeah, I think the Vikings should win that one. Yeah, they might like like those. Um, yeah, the Philadelphia one's a difficult one. I think the key to that one, which I, I went through with Lee yesterday on, on the podcast, was I, I think their defensive line for Philadelphia could get to Deshaun Watson and maybe have a few defensive scores uh, in that one. They may or may not appear a bit later on in this segment. Uh, I agree with you on a couple. Cleveland, like I say, they, they just want to kill Hugh Jackson, don't they? So Baker Mayfield is more than uh, motivated to, to put one over on him. So Cleveland, I, I've, I've put in. I've put in Minnesota as well. Detroit, uh, I say, like an awful tip an awful team so um, Dalvin Cook should uh, be running towards the outside of that of that line maybe avoid Snacks Harrison in the middle but they can also throw on Detroit who are awful against the against the pass uh, the other so I've gone for those two that you've got and then the three I've added in uh, Dallas at home to Tampa Bay uh, Indianapolis at home to the Giants and Chicago away to San Francisco that's the dodgy one uh, and yeah. I know it's not a great price either and San Francisco coming back off the back of a win there in the division but I think Chicago uh, should be should be too good for them um, they've still got the carrot there of the of the two seed in the first week bye after the Rams losing and of course they've got the, they've got the head-to-head on, on the Rams as well so they're still motivated for this one and maybe San Francisco like I say last week was a divisional game so I don't, I don't think they'll be quite as, as up for it as this one maybe it's a bit of a letdown spot for them so yeah Chicago Indianapolis uh, no OBJ I think he's just been ruled out for Sunday's game yep. uh, Indianapolis should have too much firepower on that offence there for that, that New York Giants defence uh, Saquon Barkley should have a di- should have a decent game you know, Zeke didn't have a too bad a game last week I know he didn't score but he, he did okay uh, but Indianapolis yeah should be too should be too too be good too good for those uh, Dallas Cowboys like I say on the back of that that goose egg last week Tampa Bay are an awful awful away team they bleed points I think they're, they've only won one game away from home this season so uh, really good bounce back spot for Dallas Cowboys there those five so Cleveland Minnesota Dallas Chicago and Indianapolis 3.26 to 1 so was that 7 to 2-ish uh, something, something just under seventy-two. So that's it uh, with with Betfair. So they're my five on the money line. On the handicap, Adam, uh, I'll I'll kick off us first. So yep. three three of my teams appear on the money line as well, and they're all minus. They're all favourites. But I've taken slightly different lines. Uh, I've gone Dallas minus six and a half. I've gone Minnesota minus six, and Cleveland uh, minus six and a half. Now Cleveland was minus seven uh, start of the week, but they've obviously I think yeah. they're up to nine or ten or something silly now. So obviously the the money is behind the Cleveland Browns. But I'm going to take a, an alternative line there and just do the. And I, they should win by double digits, to be quite honest. Um, but I'm just going to take the safety net there and make try and not not be too greedy. So those three there: Dallas minus six and a half, Minnesota minus six, and Cleveland minus six and a half. All should win by a touchdown. That's just under nine to two with uh, Unibet or eight eight eight. Who do you, who do you like on the handicap this week? I have uh, I've got Baltimore plus four and a half. I've got Buffalo plus thirteen and a half, and I've got the Dolphins minus three. Uh, that was 6.53 to 1 on red zone. Uh, like I said, I think the Chargers-Ravens will be a close game. The uh, the Ravens' defense travelled out west to the Chiefs and they kept it within three, obviously took it to overtime and probably should have won that one, to be honest. Um, so I can see it being a field, a field goal. Um, the Patriots have been stumbling a bit. I thought Brady and Gronk didn't look great last week. Obviously, the, the final drive, Gronk looks like he's 69 years old. He's just struggling out there and the um, Patriots only covered at Buffalo uh, because of a pick six late on in the game that they played. The, mm. the uh, Bills should welcome back some running backs this week as well, <laughs> yeah. which would be nice for them. Yeah. And uh, the Dolphins, they're returning home. They are very good at home. I think they're, I think they've only lost one at home mm. this season and they're playing the Jaguars who yeah. frankly are awful. And yeah. Cody Kessler rushed for more than he passed yeah. last week. So, yeah, Dolphins minus three. Mm. Uh, so, altogether, uh, Baltimore plus four and a half, Buffalo plus 13 and a half, Miami minus three was six and a half to one. Yeah, not too bad like that. Uh, yeah, the Buffalo one's a bit of a strange one. I, I, I agree with the, uh, the the line there about what happened last time. On the, I think it was a Monday night football game, wasn't it? Yeah, I, mem- I remember that one. 
I do yeah. Mm. Okay, let's move on to totals then. So I t- say I really struggle with totals this week. I, I, I've written five down and I've scrubbed a couple out, and yeah, I'm not 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 overly enamoured with any of these uh, at all. So I'll give you my three. First one is probably my least confident. Um, I say I probably wouldn't even back this with your money either. But uh, over 48 in the Indianapolis New York Giants game. Now mm. I know Indianapolis shut out the Cowboys last week. Um, yeah, well, yeah, I don't really like it, but I, I, th- I think the Giants will, will just use Saquon. I think he can still score uh, a couple of points, and say Indianapolis might just want to put this game to bed early and could score 30-35, and New York Giants could backdoor a couple of a couple of touchdowns or a couple of points. Uh, I know ABJ is out, like I said, so you know I, I know you're thinking why would you go for forty eight? I, ju- I just think the Colts will be, just be relentless scoring and I can still see a scenario where maybe the Giants score first or maybe get into a 7-0 seven, seven lead and then that kind of kicks into to Indianapolis so over 48 is quite high I don't I say I don't like it but I, it's literally all I could find the, the other one I, I considered with that one was the under in the Chargers Baltimore game for, for similar reasons what you said it'd be a close game you know, take the air out of the ball uh, and, and run it on the ground, which chews up all the clock. But yeah, I, like I say, don't like it. So we just we just move on. So yeah, <laughs> the other one uh, under fifty three in Pittsburgh, New Orleans. I think this one, Pittsburgh don't really need to do anything now. Uh, in terms of yeah, another thing as well, Pittsburgh know what they need to do by the time that they play because Baltimore play on Saturday night. And if if the Baltimore yeah. Ravens lose uh, to the Chargers, which is more than plausible, Pittsburgh could just put their feet up and, and be quite happy just to you know just to play. Uh, no James Conner in this one either; he's still out. So Jane Samuels takes uh, takes the reins again there in the backfield in Pittsburgh. But New Orleans haven't been the juggernaut they have been over the over the most of the season. Over the last couple of weeks, they've been you know they only put up twelve uh, against Carolina, who you know aren't the greatest of teams but they've struggled uh, in recent times so 53 I thought was quite a high line uh, for those two teams in a game that could potentially mean nothing really uh, although New Orleans could of course be uh, clinching the number one seed there so it, it kind of just depends on what kind of Pittsburgh turns up how motivated they are but they could, uh, could, could pop a low score there which might surprise some uh, the final one to complete the trifecta, I've gone over 44 uh, in the Cincinnati and Cleveland game. I just think, regardless of how many points Cincinnati score, I think Cleveland will want to put at least 44 on Hugh Jackson and the Bengals, so I'm quite happy to take 44 uh, for, for points for that game. Uh, th- 310 to 11 shots, so of course that's 5.95 to 1 with Bet365. Yeah, I um, I thought we'd have at least two the same. We've only got the one. It's Pittsburgh versus the Saints Um for pretty much all the reasons you said, the Saints have been stumbling on offense recently, um, but they've played three games on the road. Yeah, uh, they they've only conceded uh, over the last four games. They've only conceded thirteen points a game. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I think the unders is a solid look there, especially with the Steelers. They they obviously had their their big game last week, and it'll be typical Steelers to put up a put up in a poor performance this week. Mm-hmm. Um, I've got under 44.5 on the Rams versus the Cardinals. Um, the Cardinals just won't score many. And the Rams, again, they, I think Gurley's obviously carrying a knock. Um, Goff seems to have lost a bit of confidence. So I can't see the Rams putting up too much more than 30-odd. Mm. And I doubt the Cardinals are going to get to 14. Mm. So I think that one's solid. And Minnesota versus Detroit, under 42.5. Uh, quite a low total. It's probably lower than I normally take. Um, but the Vikings ran on two-thirds of their possessions last week, uh, which means long, long drives, slow scoring, and the Lions are just a mess. Um, if it's anything like the first time these two played, Minnesota got 10 sacks on Stafford, so he won't be scoring many points, won't be passing too much. When he does pass, it'll only be to Galladay, and you got to imagine they'll put Xavier Rhodes on him, yeah. and that leaves Detroit with pretty much nothing, yeah. frankly. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, under forty two and a half in that one. Uh, like you said, six to one. Yeah, like it. Yeah, I like those. I like those as well. And like I say, the other one I considered was uh, Chargers and Baltimore unders as well. But um, for some reason, I plumped for over forty eight Indianapolis New York Giants. We'll look foolish, no that's, doubt, um, next week. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I already hate it. So there we go. <laughs> uh, moving on to anytime touchdown scorers. So three I've gone for uh, this week are um, quite a few actually. I, quite, I really liked, um, but some of them are quite quite low, like shorter than four or six, and I'm not really too happy at taking some of those if I do I'm only going to take one or two because otherwise it's just not worth betting on five people to score for like a two to one acker so the three I've gone for Sony Michelle at home to Buffalo you can run on Buffalo and I think this is going to be a pro Sony Michelle game script type of game at home 
um, should be able to run all over them. I know there's three guys in the, there in the backfield, but Sonny Michelle is the main guy. Uh, James White shouldn't be needed too much to, cut, put, to catch passes out of the backfield, and it just depends on whether or not Rex Burkhead scuppers him in the red zone. So, yeah, I like, I like Sonny Michelle there. Nick Chubb uh, for the Browns against Cincinnati. Anyone can score against Cincinnati, to be quite honest. So, Nick Chubb, I'm always going to take the running back. I did write, I, like, yep. I did like, like Jarvis Landry, actually, um, but he was too short for me to, to put in. So, uh, And then to finish it off, Saturday night, De- Derek Henry, uh, who's had a stellar last couple of weeks, I think he'll continue to roll there against a, a sorry Washington team. Uh, and that, that trouble there is 3.73 to 1 net with Paddy Power. Yeah, it won't surprise you to know I've got a couple of them in mine. Um, I didn't go... I've got Chubb and Henry in my one. Um, yeah, like you said, uh, the Browns should put up a lot of points and you can run all over the Bengals. It, I, I, I really don't know what's going to happen with the Bengals this week, to be honest, because... If they get demoralised, and they're obviously they're missing quite a few on defence still. The the only worry is it's a divisional game, but mm. yeah, Chubb should get one or two yeah. this week. I think he's scored in six in a row now, or five in a row. He's scored quite a few consecutive games. Um, yep, yeah, Chubb, one to two, Henry, five to six. I've got Dalvin Cook. Um, as I say, the uh, Vikings run two-thirds of the, ran on two-thirds of their plays last week, and he can do it on the receiving front as well uh he was nine to ten on unibet and i've gone with new copkins uh he was only four to six at the moment there's only well there's only paddy and betfair who've got the prices hopefully we'll get closer to evens uh with it being on the road mm. but the obviously the eagle secondary's beaten up and we saw last week what hopkins can do yeah. against well anyone really he just out battles people yeah. um so my fourfold which was chubb Derek henry dalvin cook uh, DeAndre Hopkins was six point eight four to one mm. at Paddy Power. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I like Hopkins. Hopkins was one I've I've wrote down and then scribbled out, and same with same with McCaffrey as well. I just worried a little bit with Hopkins. Uh, Thomas was Michael Thomas was the other one as well, but he's had a poor couple of weeks. Uh, but mm. with with Hopkins, uh, I mentioned obviously about the offensive line there for Houston. So I just wonder how much time Deshaun Watson's going to get. Uh, whether it, it will allow Nuke Hopkins to get to get down the field, but I suppose if he if if he's in man press coverage in, on defense and he can beat his man, then he can probably throw it quite quickly. But um, yeah, just was just had it in the back of my mind there that I'm not quite sure how much time Sean Watson can have. I know I know he can escape the pocket and create a bit more time for himself and allow Nuke Nuke to get free. But uh, yeah, but I did. Yeah, I did, that's I did, a fair I did, point. I did consider him. Okay, a couple of outsiders. Um, I I know I went a bit crazy last week. I've gone for quite a few again this week, uh, just because it is the season, of course. Um, I've gone for a couple of quarterbacks, a couple of defenses, and then a couple of uh, running uh, backup running backs. So I'll start off with the quarterback position. Uh, Russell Wilson, seven to two versus Kansas City. Could be a kind of game where he has to do a bit more than he usually does. Uh, I know they have a, a strong rushing game anyway, uh, and I've also got I've also got Mike Davis. A uh, bit of a spoiler alert there coming up, but so uh, yeah, Russell Wilson's not really done much with in in terms of. T- scoring touchdowns this this season with his legs could be that kind of game where you know there's a lot of points and you know sometimes the quarterback will get involved uh, I'm not going to make the same mistake and go Patrick Mahomes again this week <laughs> um uh, the other one I thought was quite interesting Baker Mayfield 8 to 1 with Paddy Power um who will probably like to get one on on Hugh at home 8 to 1 I thought was quite big actually for someone that can can run the ball um two running backs have gone for Mike Davis Eleven to four against Kansas City. Uh, Kansas City run defense is not great. Uh, Mike Davis had quite a lot of targets last week, I think, as well. If I, if my memory serves me correctly. So, uh, again, high scoring game. You, you you look for your peripheral guys to to maybe get into the end zone. Um, talking of peripheral, Latavius Murray, the backup for. Uh, Dalvin Cook, if you like, over in Minnesota, four to one with Paddy Power. Murray still had a, a fair share of that of that work last week, so I thought four to one was quite interesting there uh, against. He could get a goal line stuff. I know Detroit are decent up the middle against the run, um, but yeah, I thought four to one was a fair price actually for Latavius Murray. And then to finish it off, a couple of defenses. Uh, I've gone for the Cleveland defense uh, for you know all the same reasons that I've gone for Baker Mayfield over Cincinnati, over in the Cincinnati game and Cleveland on the handicap and the money line. So uh, don't really need to do too much. Denzel Ward should be back. Uh, this de- Cleveland defense is decent, uh, and I say Cincinnati haven't got anyone to throw to. Jeff, Jeff Driscoll, although he's played quite well, uh, could struggle in this one. So Cleveland, that was seven to one, which was also quite high for a uh, defensive or a special teams uh, touchdown. And similar thoughts to the Philadelphia. Uh, like I say, the offensive line there for Houston is a bit porous, so I can see maybe a, a sack fumble uh, on on Deshaun Watson there from Philly. Then you know. 
one of the guys there on the line can pick it up and maybe scoop it in for the touchdown. They were 6-1 to one as well. So a couple of big shots there. I thought they were just a bit overpriced considering how good their defences are. Yeah, yeah, sounds good. Yeah, there's like you said, you've gone for quite a few, but um, quite a few that I like on there. The the Mayfield one, I agree with. Like you said, they he's going to want to put on a show, I think, and it wouldn't surprise me if he sneaks one in. When I say sneaks, he could run from 20 yards yeah. and uh, probably still get there. Yeah, who do you, you like? Um, long shots, I'm just trying to look through them now while um, while you're talking, to be honest. <laughs> yeah, um, Brian Hill for the Falcons. Uh, the Falcons do not just run one guy, and Ito Smith's just got an IR. Uh, they're playing against uh, Cam newton list Panthers team. Um, so I think the second running back there, Brian Hill, who they said that they will get some action this week. He's 7-1 to one mm. to score any time uh, on Unibet. I think that one's a decent one. Um, there was... Uh, Kalen Blage is just under at the moment. He's 15-8 to eight, um, for the Miami Dolphins. Uh, obviously, Frank Gore's out for the season now, and they've said Bellage, uh Evan Silver said earlier today that he reckons he'll get 14-15 to 15 carries, and he broke off a long touchdown last week. He's 15-8 mm. to eight on Paddy Power at the moment. Mm. I'm hoping that he'll tick over the 2-1 to one for us. Yeah. Um, but we'll see. If not, in that game, you've also got David Williams, which is a name you may not have heard unless you backed Leonard Fournette last week with a 350 quid free bet, <laughs> like like I did. Um, they didn't play Fournette in the second half. He got one carry in the whole second half, and it's because they wanted to try out some of their youngsters. Mm. And David Williams was one. I think he got he got eight carries, I believe. Um, he is 16 to one on Paddy Power at the moment. Um, so he's one to look out for at a very big price. Mm. And um, my last one was Mark Andrews um, for the Baltimore Ravens. The uh, the Ravens tight ends are stupidly difficult to call, and I still I'm still convinced that he is the best of them in the uh, in on the offense, and he's fourteen to one. So at the price, I've got to have a little yeah. dabble. Yeah, like it. Yeah, like that. Yeah, Mike Andrews. Yeah, so he's he's had a couple. He's chipped him in a couple this season. Uh, some big receptions as well. So yeah, don't mind that at all. Fourteen to one. Uh, should see the field a tiny little bit. Okay, uh, let's go. Before we do naps and next best, we of course do upsets. So who's your upset of the week? Uh, my upset of the week: the New York Jets at home to the Packers. Um, Packers season's over. The Jets played very well last week. They should have won against um, Houston. They they were by far the better team. They just couldn't get couldn't get it finished. So you got the Jets at twenty three to seventeen randomly mm. on Sporting Bet. Yeah, not bad. Uh, I've gone for Seattle. Um, I know Kansas City have had longer to prepare for this one. Seattle played an overtime game, but Seattle at home are a different animal than they are away. Kansas City might be a bit unsettled with the pressure that is on them. No Kareem Hunt, so that that running game is not as good as it maybe was at the start of the season. And like I say, Seattle um, can lock in that that fifth seed there should they win. So five to four uh, to win the game. I'm quite happy to say that. I didn't really like too many. I do. I like. I like. I don't, don't mind the jet shout. That's pretty decent. Um, but I've got. I've just gone with Seattle. Okay. So our naps and next best for Christmas, Adam. What's your next best? Uh, next best is the one that me and you both picked: the Steelers versus Saints under fifty-three. Hmm. Yeah. Say ten to eleven. Yep. Uh, Steelers. Okay. Uh, mine is Cleveland minus six and a half, which is eight to thirteen at Sky. But a bit shorter than I, I usually like. Uh, but like I say, at the start of the week when I picked these out, these were that was actually ten to eleven. So. Um, or four or five or something slightly, slightly yeah. just above uh, over evens. But um, yeah, unfortunately, it's a it's a it's a bad price now. But uh, I'm not going to change it. I'm just going to take it because that's what I think will happen. So that's my uh, next best. Round us off then, Adam, with your nap. Um, at the moment, it's Delvin Cook to score any time at nine to ten on Unibet. Uh, again, I'm hoping the odds will be slightly better because they're on the road mm. against a decent run defense. Um, but I think there's only three or four bookies that are offering the price yeah. as we speak. So, yeah, Darwin Cook, 9-10, to 10, anytime. Mm. Not too bad. I'm going to stay in the same game, and I'm going to go Minnesota. Uh, now, I know they're minus six on my handicap treble, but my, I've gone for minus five just to eke a bit more a bit more out. Again, I think they win by a touchdown anyway, but um, four or five, I mean, it's barely any difference from 10 to 11. It's like a couple of pence, isn't it, per pound? So I'm quite happy to take that point and take the four or five with Bet365. Minnesota minus five there is my nap away to Detroit 
Okay, so hopefully that is uh, all your bets for week 16. That's going to all line all our pockets and pay for all our presents. Adam, before we let you go, what's the uh, what's the one present you want under the tree this Christmas? I don't, I don't know. You know, I'm a 35-year-old dad. There's <laughs> nothing, nothing that I really need or want. It's one of those that uh, we do need a new shower speaker. There you go. I'll go with that. Because uh, the other one's bust. There you go. Are you expecting any, any NFL? <laughs> living, any NFL? living the dream there. Yeah, living absolutely. Are you expecting any American football themed presents? Oh yes, actually, I do believe that I may be getting a Cincinnati Bengals mini fridge Ooh. for uh, for my up and coming man cave slash games room. I love so, it. So yes, that in fairness, that's probably trumps the uh, shower speaker. <laughs> yeah, just a little, just a little bit. Yeah, Let's yeah. Let's take a picture and uh, we'll 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 have, have a little look and. Uh, Fingers crossed. I I did also find annoyingly after I'd been asked what what I wanted, uh, I did find a neon neon Bengals sign. There's a company that does them for fifty quid. Yeah. Uh, which which looked awesome and it would fit in here nicely. So that is on my shopping list for the mm. new year not bad i hope you've been a good boy this year adam i'm, I'm sure if uh, you, all the people that have followed us over the season uh, would certainly say that you would be considering the profit that we've made um, i hope so yeah. but we'll speak to you on the other side of christmas so i wish you all the best mate I hope you have a nice one and uh, i hope you win some money yeah you too tim um obviously i think we're i think we're booked for next friday still aren't we 27 28 so yeah yeah we'll, we'll definitely have one out before new year and i'll speak to you then I hope you have a good one yeah you too mate brilliant Okay, the second part of our special Christmas episode for you to all unwrap, and I hope you're all enjoying it. It's time to welcome back a friend of the show, Roger Goodgroves, who is our official aficionado, for lack of a better word. And it is said that his voice is smoother than a baby's bottom. But Roger, we welcome you back in to the Full 10 Yards podcast. We always appreciate you coming on to talk about everything uh, black and Thanks, white. Tim. And I hope you're, you're all set for Christmas. Yeah, um, last minute change. We're now hosting instead of uh, being away. It's a bit of a fixture change. Um, some friends we were going to go around to uh, having a house built and it hasn't quite finished. So a sudden fixture change. We're now hosting. So a uh, bit of a change, but uh, we'll, we'll cope. Yeah. Uh, are you expecting any NFL or American football themed presents this Christmas? <laughs> um, no, my wife and I have bought each other a joint present, and uh, surprisingly enough, that's a not football-related one. Yeah, <laughs> there say... might be some surprise little ones, but <laughs> nothing major. Yeah, so it's, it's not going to be a black and white referee's top or or a whistle. <laughs> no, 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 definitely not. <laughs> she wouldn't dare unless I told her exactly what it was I needed. <laughs> okay, so yeah, we, obviously, Roger, we we love to talk with you all things regarding referees and officials and some certain calls. Uh, and obviously, we had we had you on early in the season and prior to the season, looking at you know some of the main rule rule changes and some of the things that the officials were were kind of pointed in the direction of you know having more emphasis on. Uh, one of those one of the big ones was obviously the catch rule, uh, and then obviously the other one was lowering the helmet to initiate contact kind of rule. And how, how do you think that they they've gone they've gone over the season? Well, I think the catch rule most people would say has been a good change. There was always the danger with the catch rule that if you simplify the rule, you have an unintended unintended consequences. So a catch becomes a catch much sooner in the process. And as a result, if there's any um, loose ball after the catch, then it becomes a fumble. Most fumbles, um, when a receiver makes them particularly, people are surrounded by loads of defense and they become turnovers. Mm. That has happened not too much. Um, so I think on balance, the overall catch rule has simplified the process and made it easier to understand for most people. Yeah. There was an interesting, talking of unintended consequences, there was an interesting one of this week's game. There was actually a, um, a punt that uh, it was in the New York Giants game versus, mm. uh, I think it was Tennessee. And um, what happened was the player chasing down the punt got the ball briefly in his hands at about the six-yard line and then dropped it almost immediately. It rolled out the end zone and was ruled on the field as a touchback, mm. uh, which is correct if it's been put by the kicking team out of the end zone. Yeah. Um, but in replay, it was actually overturned because the guy that was chasing down the punt possessed it long enough to get his third foot down, which is one of the criteria now for uh, whether a catch is a catch. Mm. So in order to get a catch in the NFL, you need to get control. You then need to get two feet or another body part down, and then you need 
um, a football move, and one of those football moves is the third step. Yeah. And so replay overturned it, and um, New York managed to down the punt on the six-yard line, which for them was a great result because they obviously saw the um, ball going out the end zone and were kicking themselves. But mm. because of the new rule, it became a, um, a New York great play. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. So, so that was on the catch rule. Yep. You you mentioned the, the helmet contact rule, and I said to you at the podcast we did just before the season – that there was lots of emphasis on this, but it wouldn't be the big issue mm-hmm. that it was perceived to be going into the season. This was, uh, if we go back a little bit, this one was thrown in at us at a very last stage. Normally rules go through a change process and they're put before the competition committee who are a mixture of owners, managers and uh, head coaches. And they rule on what is or isn't to be changed, either a temporary or a permanent basis permanent basis this one was thrown in at the very last minute and it never went through the pre-stage where it's written down and all the various different permutations are played out uh, and as a result the wording in the um, rule change was very open to an interpretation that almost any time that two people come together it was a foul Luckily, um, it wasn't interpreted that way, other than some early contact in the preseason games were ruled like that. But then there was a, uh, an edict from up high from the NFL officiating office in terms of what they should be looking for specifically. And it was uh, lowering the body position to a parallel to the ground, helmet looking down to the ground so that they're leading with the, the crown of the helmet. That was the diff- the. The, the indicator that was being looked for by the officials and that's what they should be calling yeah now that's a difficult one because there have been some calls that haven't been made um that should have been made there have been calls that are made that people don't like yeah and so um a danger of a little bit of ignorance on uh, people's perception and one of the broader issues on officiating is there is a general swell of opinion that says the officiating has got worse. Mm. Um, I don't think it has, but what I think has happened is that as technology improves and our cameras improve, we actually run into a situation where post the play, we have a better opportunity to analyse it in depth, in slow motion, from probably 10, 15 different camera angles. Mm. Um, A typical NFL game, you know, has 20 to 30 cameras in operation at any one time. So we have a view that the official didn't have at the time and have the opportunity to review it in a lot more detail, slow it right down frame by frame. And yes, you will see things that the officials might not have seen Mm. as just a consequence, unfortunately, that uh, they're only human and they do an amazing job of um, live action. Most of the time they'll get the calls right. there's something like 40,000 um, plays that happen in an NFL year, and the estimate is about 96% of the calls you make or non-calls they make are actually correct, correctly ruled. Mm. And every official is graded every week. Um, there are a team of people who sit in the NFL offices in New York, and they actually go through tape. Well, obviously not tape, but you know what I mean. Yep. Um, and they actually analyze whether a call should have been made and wasn't made or vice versa if a call was made and shouldn't have been mm. etc and uh, each official is graded and those grades go to make which officials come to do year-end bowl assignments mm. or playoff assignments in the nfl speak um and we can talk about that later about you know how we get um the superstar crews that have been talked about and that's what happens in the playoffs the yeah. normal crews that go through the season aren't yeah. the crews that actually take mm. the wildcard games onwards. Yeah, uh, and I, and I, I think, um, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, we can touch on that now because I, I noticed over the last couple of weeks there's been uh, some talk. I don't know if, um, you know if it's been, if it's like prime time games where they've got a couple of super, super crews together. Is it, is it quite normal for them to do it during the regular season or? No, in fact, it's very unusual to do in the regular season. And, um, it was thought that the, the Rams game, I think, was the one where there was some major changes. And it wasn't just changes in minor changes, like one official swapped in or out. Yeah. Sometimes happens through injury or illness or suspension in a recent example. Um, but it was actually the whole crew change. So they decided to send a different crew and then they swapped out certain people on that crew for other officials. 
it was viewed to be not working for that game particularly yeah. well, uh, um, which is interesting because that's how they do the playoffs. So yeah. if you're saying that it didn't work for the Rams game, then why would it work for the playoffs? Mm. Um, uh, <laughs> and I think the uh, the difference is they probably have a little bit more chance in a non pro for one game on TV with everybody watching mm. for that to work out some of the, not kinks, but familiarity of working together with certain people. Absolutely, yeah. Yeah, because it, it strikes up that, that debate around... Yeah, sorry, Roger. I was going to say, it, it strikes that debate around, you know, if you've got a crew that have worked together, it's like in soccer where you've got a referee and two linesmen that they always seem to, you know, be be put together and compiled and they, they kind of travel around together. So, you know, on one side, you've got, you know, the best graded referees and umpires and line judges and all the rest of it on, on a field. But if the the main the main umpire the the guy obviously with the white the white hat as uh, yep. as, a, as he stands out if he if he's not familiar with how all the line judges or ha- how the bat judges call things it, it, it can cause some yeah either miscommunication or you know the way that the the, the line judges or the bat judges are, are calling something may not be familiar to to the main the main referee so what, what what's your take on you know w- would you rather have a, a group of, of referees and umpires that are used to how the, how how to call things and what they're looking for or, or would you prefer the, the super crews that you know maybe maybe the best but you know, it might not be the best team I think it's a trade-off and I think there are advantages and disadvantages of both to sit on the fence a little um generally speaking they should work well together and the reason they should work well together regardless of whether they work together normally is all of them have mechanics manuals and the mechanics manual is what tells them where to be and in any particular situation what they should be looking out for Mm. Um, if you're in the right position to officiate a call you're more likely to make the right call because you're in the position to see the things you should be looking for you're not crossing over into somebody else's territory and you're all watching the ball for example Mm. and you shouldn't be watching the ball because there's all this holding going on off the ball etc so in theory they should all be able to slot into anybody's crew and actually seamlessly as far as anybody else is concerned work together Mm. the reality is obviously some people work slightly differently uh, on a day-to-day basis than the, the rule book would say. Yeah. Um, and inevitably that takes a little bit of adjusting to. Yeah. And, and more so in terms of philosophy of a crew. Philosophy of a crew. Mm. Um, so, you know, the white hat will lead his team. It's very much a team and they work very much as a team, so you know, give any idea, the somebody will be responsible for travel, somebody will be responsible for hotels, somebody will be responsible for uh, some game day organisation. And obviously, when you put people together that are not used to working together, mm. then it doesn't quite mesh in the way it would normally do, and it takes a little bit of getting used to. Yeah, and the other thing I was thinking as well, if you think, if you think, for example. Uh, some like, line judges or, or bat judges say a, a ball's being thrown in the air, and you know mm-hmm. you, 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 the subjective part of uh, you know illegal contact or pass interference. Yeah. You know yeah. that that's kind of where the the wrinkles I suppose are because if you've got a team you know where the the white cap uh, if if he's got his normal crew he you know they they all know as a team kind of what they're going to be calling what they're like yeah, say philosophy it's their standard. yeah it, it should be the NFL standard because the yeah. NFL do send out training teams every week. Mm. Um, and they highlight particular plays. Al Riveron and sends out tapes, both to the media and to the actual um, uh, crews. Mm. And they'll emphasise certain things that they think are being missed, or certain things where they want it ruled this way. Yeah. Um, and they'll send examples out to say, you know, whilst you might have called that roughing the quarterback, you know, he made an attempt to roll off him. Therefore, you shouldn't be calling it. Mm. That's a, an example of where yep. his intervention will make the change during the season. Mm. Yeah, and I say there's there's a handful of these situations every in, obviously in every game where you know one one line judge might say, okay, they're just going at it. It's you know six or one half a dozen or the other. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then obviously you, you take into account what you know is it a divisional game? Is it a game with playoff implications and all that kind of stuff as well? And I suppose the, the, all those variations kind of Hind, not hinder. That's probably the wrong word. But you know, I'd rather have it. I'd rather have a team of officials that have, have been together for the whole season over someone that might call something slightly differently in, in yeah. terms of you know hands up and stopping uh, pass interference calls that kind of stuff. And that 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 kind of is 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 magnified in in the bigger games. And when you've got a super crew like in the Kansas City game where all the eyes are watching, just those little things there are magnified to such a level that you know. 
it shouldn't really be worth talking about, but but it is because of the magnitude yeah. of the game. Absolutely, and, and going to the the um, magnification of the game, I mean, it's a prime example of where we expect too much sometimes. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Mike Pereira, who used to be the um, senior vice president of officiating for the NFL uh, a few years ago, he's now an analyst for Fox, mm. um, together with Dean Blandino, who also used to hold that position. And he, he said of um, technology, and he said, te- what has technology done is to make instant replay takes everything to a level of perfection. Yeah. They expect that from the, the referees every time that any call is made. Yeah. But we don't expect that from anybody else. No. You know, a coach calls a wrong play or somebody misses a tackle. That you see that's part of the game, but you expect perfection perfection from the officials on yeah. every single down. Yeah. It's not realistic to expect it. But nowadays with the HD TV, um, etc, then multiple camera angles, you're yeah. gonna highlight imperfections. Yeah. Unfortunately yeah. it's a matter of uh, just we are human and we see things from different places and that's why you have multiple people on a crew so you know take a pass potentially there will be two or three or four pairs of eyes looking at the end of that pass mm. for the pass interference for it being complete incomplete because different views from different angles will give a different result yeah. and sometimes you look at it from one way and you say there was no way that was a foul mm. you see the camera angle from the other way and you go oh actually yeah he's had a hand behind and he turned him yeah. as he went in for the ball but you look at it from the front all you see is the other hand coming in knocking the ball away and you think oh that's a great play but actually look at it from behind you see that his other hand took away the ability for that defender uh, that um, receiver to actually uh, make the play on the ball yeah and i say yeah it's everything from those kind of things even to you know how many blades of grass are between the, the wide receiver's foot and the in the touchline and those <laughs> yeah it's, it's, it's yeah try that doing that in real time exactly yeah and yeah and i, I totally agree and 96 percent in anything is um is, is more is more than acceptable in, in my book but yeah uh, i don't think so. the commentators maybe don't help it either sometimes in their in their examination. no and, and i think there's a couple of things here and i'll, and I'll just I'll, I'll throw in a solution um if i may which is so take commentators don't help. They have got got better generally about yep. their understanding of the rules. Yeah. But like the man in the street, they watch football a lot and they have a very good understanding of the rules generally. But they don't study a rule book. And there are nuances in the rule book that they won't know about. Mm. And so they say, oh, don't see why that should have been a foul. Mm. But they're missing an important component of the um, rule book as it's written. Mm. And so that's one downside. And that, that applies equally to the, to the man watching at home on TV or the 100 people in a pub uh, analogy. Yeah. You know, they might see it and go, that looks like it should be X. Mm. But they don't understand the intricacies of what that, how that rule is written. And they make an in- incorrect call and they perceive the the referees are doing their team out of something where really the referees are doing it exactly as it should be Mm. so going back to the thread in solution so we have this situation where we have in the past and we still got introduced last year was that there are some full-time referees um or officials because they're not all in the referee position they have different ones Mm. on um, different crews um and people have said for years they should be full-time, they should be studying this all the time because that's the only way they're going to improve. Well, to be honest, if you've ever seen uh, an NFL crew prepare, you can't say that they don't give no. 100%. So no. it's, it's not time that's causing the issue. Yeah. I think the game has moved to the point where technology has overtaken the, the official's ability mm. to make the right determination all the time. Mm. But that's a trade-off because we have this situation that says, well, that's why replay was brought in. There was a tragedy happened in a game and somebody lost a game because this was called one way rather than the other. Say that was obviously wrong. So replay comes along and says, okay, we're going to bring that in and force things like a change of possession or a touchdown. We're going to actually review it and we're going to actually say, right, actually, no, that was correct call or there isn't enough evidence to overturn it, Mm -hmm. which is somewhat often the case mm-hmm. because even with those multiple camera angles it isn't obvious to see yeah. what happened mm-hmm. and if you can't see what happened then you're going to have to go with what they saw on the field even if it was wrong mm-hmm. it's the best available evidence and you can't overturn something unless you know for sure that it's actually uh, incorrect yeah so if we're saying that that's happening more and more we brought in replay to try and prevent that 
how do we go forward and say what's the solution to getting it right more times than 96 percent and especially anything that would be critical um to a a playoff game or a Super Bowl, how do we make sure that those plays are all correct? Well, it's impossible. Let's mm. start with that premise yeah. because you could do it and you could say, let's video replay every single play yeah. looking for errors, looking for pass interference that should have been called that wasn't, looking for somebody who might have put a foot out of bounds and then come back in, etc. and it was missed on the side. There are a zillion things on every play that could be reviewed. But you'll have a game that lasts all day. I mean, it's bad enough as it is yep. with games being three and a half hours or whatever, especially with the adverts in America. But anyway, <laughs> put that to one side. Yeah. You, you'd have a game that just went on forever. It'd be like baseball. Go on forever. Anyway. <laughs> um, so, sorry, personal growth. Nah, um, <laughs> so how do, you, how do you square that circle? And I think the way you square that circle is you have an eighth official who's not on the field, who is in the replay booth, and who will look at critical plays from a point of view of officiating it, not to say, can we get it, but let me be an official with the advantage of slow motion replay and with the advantage of multiple camera angles, how should this have been officiated? Mm. You can't do it on every play, so you'll always still get some people saying, well, that was holding, no, it wasn't, you know, that was past interference, no, it wasn't, because you can't re-officiate every single play it'd be just it would just kill the game mm, yeah. but you could have an eighth official who's in the box to look for key big differences so for example in the recent game there was an obvious false start that wasn't called mm. the play led to a touchdown yeah the false start because it's a judgment call isn't reviewable so the touchdown stun stands if you had the eighth official he could quickly look at that and say touchdown was called Actually, no, that definitely was. Obviously, there was no question about it. It should come back. Yeah. And I think that's the way forward. Was that by any chance Philip Rivers? Um, it may well have been. Actually, there's a <laughs> couple of recent examples. It wasn't just one. But yes, there were a couple like that where there was obvious false start. But I, I have sympathy for the for the line officials because oh, yeah. Yeah. We, 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 we look at them and we say, OK, you missed that false start. And they shouldn't have done. Yeah. Hand, hands in the air, he should not have missed that. Mm -hmm. However, if you actually look at what an official is doing on a play, before the snap actually happens, there are many things that they're trying to assess. Yeah. So, for example, they're assessing whether the people are ahead of got the right numbers on to go down field. Are those people covered over? Are the people in the backfield in motion? Are they set? Etc. Yeah. Etc. Et there are very many things they look at before the snap of the ball. So, you know, if it only takes a momentary thing, it's he looks away to see if that back moved or if that movement was something he should be paying more attention to, miss the snap. Yeah. So it's very difficult to actually say 100% of the time his focus should be at the snap. And he knows that, but yeah. there are so many things that might pull him away from that. Yeah. And, you know, we need an eighth official, in my view, that actually yeah, can, can mm. pick up those ones that just might have been missed. Yeah, and that's a great segue on to one that an eighth official might have seen is uh, recently Bobby Wagner with the uh, block field goal against Minnesota, who according, obviously, according to the rule book, you're not allowed to, to gain leverage by touching either opponent or, or your teammates, and uh, quite clearly Bobby Bobby Wagner did. Yeah, uh, and there's an interesting thing about this one, which was the rule was changed in the off-season for um, leaping. Yeah. Now, at the line of scrimmage, you have a couple of fouls that can come into play, leaping and leverage. Mm -hmm. And they're, they're very similar to each other because they look very similar. And so they changed the rules so that a person who was deep off the line, wasn't within the line of scrimmage play, couldn't run from deep. And this is another Seattle play in the past, I think, that actually prompted this. Run from deep, jump over the line, block the, the kick. So they changed the rules so that said anybody that wasn't within one yard of the line of scrimmage couldn't run forward and jump over players on the line. It's a safety issue. Yeah. Um, and what was called, the fl a flag was thrown on that play. Mm. And it looked very obvious, like, okay, it's leverage. Um, and then the couple of officials got together and they actually called off the flag. And it was like, why? It was obviously leverage. Well, what was they were looking at and the, the first official had thrown was a leaping foul. Right. And when the other official came in to discuss it with them, they said, no, he was within one yard of the line of scrimmage. 
And that's why they called it off, because what they were saying was, therefore, he was legitimately allowed to jump over the line. Yeah. So the, the, in the two, they'd watch for the one, the new leaping rule, mm. and, uh, sorry, the, yeah, the new leaping rule, and miss the, the old leverage, leverage rule. Mm. So, you know, difficult one to see at the line of scrimmage, but, you know, you could have picked it up and said, well, that should have come back and they should have had another attempt at the uh, yeah. field goal, I think it was, that they were going for. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And just to, just to mention out there to all this is if you want to go back and see any contentious uh, refereeing decisions or quick uh, quick looks at some of the uh, you know, flags of, of the weekend, there's a really good website. Called, it's called Football Zebras, uh, which, Roger, I believe you are kind of a part of or affiliated with. Uh, I contribute to it on a, on a fairly regular basis. Yeah, there's a, there's a forum that's uh, sitting behind it as well that uh, uh, officials also talk about um, what's being called. And, and as you say, Tim, it's a very good place to look because what you'll get is an objective view and they'll be quite happy to say that should have been called. Mm. Um, but they know the rules inside out. Um, in fact, I've got a book on my bookshelf. One of the guys there has actually written, which is, you know, so you think you know the rules mm. uh, in the NFL. And it goes through various scenarios where some really odd things in the NFL rule, but you just never expect to, to, to see. Um, and, you know, he'll go through from the beginning of football, where these rules have come from and what you might not have seen and what you know most people miss. Yeah. Um, but football zebras or zebras, um, if you're in the UK, then um, it, it's a very good site because it'll actually take the contentious plays and actually break down what are the rules related to those plays, show often video examples of that play in question, yeah. and then discuss how that should have been done or why it was done that way. Um, so it's a very good uh, site to actually break down some of those weird and wonderfuls that happen because mm. um, they're not always what people are shouting uh, when you actually look at it and say, no, it shouldn't have been. Yes, it should have been. Mm. And it's quite often that the referees were right in what they called, but people's perception is that it should have been called a different way. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, th- I, th- I didn't have too much time looking at this this, uh, this afternoon, but I, I believe it goes back uh, a, f- a fair way as well. Oh, yeah, it's been going for uh, oh, 10, 12 years mm. or so. It's uh, been going quite a long time. Mm. So if anyone, any Dallas fans out there like myself can probably go back and see the uh, Des Bryant <laughs> in Lambeau Field from the playoffs a couple of years ago to see <laughs> to see the old catch rule, if you like. Um, when we... Yeah, well, indeed, and was correctly ruled under yes. the old catch rule. Oh, yes. Um, yeah. But, you know. <laughs> don't, don't tell Des Bryant that. Please, people. Yeah, don't tell Des Bryant or any Dallas fans that, such as myself. <laughs> No, but, uh, yes. So uh, before before we get out of here, Roger, is there, any, is there anything uh, else that you maybe you want to cover? I, I noticed that um, of the, the the weight on the QB seems to be something that's that's cropping up every now and again. Making, yeah, it's I, making uh, the, it tackling the QB quite interesting. In fact, talking of QBs, there's a couple related to QBs. I think they're worth saying. Which is there's a recent one where people were complaining that um, the officials blew a play dead before it should have been. Yes. So let's take that one and the QB protection rules, because I think there's a few around QB protection that have caused issues this year. So let's, there's three that I can think of as an example. So mm. landing on the QB. So the NFL is a business that revolves around the QB. Like it or loathe it, that yeah. is the state of pay. They will want to protect their assets um, financially as well as the, the playing assets. They will protect the quarterback probably more than anybody else. That will will be the way it is and we like it or not that is the case so the roughing the quarterback rule they want to make sure that the situation doesn't happen like what happened with rogers uh, in last year that took him out yeah. they want to make sure that somebody doesn't use their 300 pounds to land on top of him at speed and from height yeah. so they want to make sure that people don't do that they can do that and, pe- and players are adjusting to that rule already yeah. that you know when they're taking them down they can twist their body motion they can pull off and roll over without pulling out the tackle altogether mm-hmm. that's happening there will be somewhere they don't and they will be penalized but that will be a point of emphasis the other one about um the quarterback um ruled down too soon it can happen to any play so we, we call it forward progress yeah so we give the player the most advantageous spot they've achieved before they're then driven backwards. Now, that's obviously a judgment that the people on the wings are making. So it's the uh, the headlinesman, or as the, the NFL now call it, the, the, uh, the down judge, um, as they got politically correct, and the line judge. So both of those are looking at the line of scrimmage, they're moving with the play on a run play, and they're determining, has that player lost control, in effect, of their own movement. Now, it's easier when they're being gang-tackled and there are three or four people on them. It's fairly clear 
they're being driven back, they've got no control of their own motion, therefore they're ruling right. Wherever he got to, that's the point at which the next play is going to be. So you then take it and it says, we've got a one-on-one situation where a linebacker has come through on a quarterback. They've grabbed the quarterbacks two-handed, driven them back two or three yards. Is that forward progress stopped? Mm. Now, in most examples, yes, it will be, because the quarterback's never going to recover from that situation. But you have people like the Cam Newtons, Marcus Mariotas, or whatever, who are more mobile quarterbacks, um, who will escape from, almost miraculously um, uh, escape from, from situations where you think, there's no way he should have escaped from that situation. He was going to be sacked. He was going to be down. The play was going to be over. And if you go back to the situation, they're going to protect their assets. Forward progress will be called on quarterbacks lighter or sooner than it will be called on a big, hefty, um, the bus. Um, So that's just the state of play in terms of the reality of the situation between the two different positions. Will they get it wrong sometimes? Yes, they will. But it is a judgment call and they have to make that judgment. Mm. If, for example, in that play, he'd already gone two or three yards backwards and then the, the linebacker drives him into the ground because the whistle hadn't come, then suddenly people are going to say, well, they're not protecting the quarterbacks, they should be protecting quarterbacks, mm. etc." So it's a fine line to trade between the two. Yeah, yeah. Third one that came in this year um, is um, the rule where any player, but mostly it's the quarterbacks, can give themselves up in a play, and as a result of giving themselves up, they're not eligible to be hit. So yes. as you're probably aware, in the NFL... Just going down on the ground doesn't make you down the play over. Mm. The play could still continue if you get up again. And as a result, somebody goes down, somebody usually dives on top of them to try and, A, stop them, but B, punish them, you could argue. Um, So what you have is a situation where you have the ability to slide. So a quarterback often will, let's say, drive forward for a first down, knowing they've achieved the first down, will go down, with their knees first mm-hmm. in a sliding motion. As soon as they go into that motion, the play is ruled dead. The ball is dead at the point that they actually first contact the ground. Yeah. So usually their shin hits the ground before their ass does, etc. And at that point, wherever the ball is in relation to that shin going down, that's the point at which the quarterback has been given his forward progress, not the point two or three yards further down the field where he becomes touched by the next player. Mm-hmm. So that's one. The second one is a new one introduced this year, um, which is you can give yourself up by diving forward. So basically, again, it goes back to sometimes somebody will trip and be on the ground, not making an attempt to get up. And people have dived heavily on top of them. Um, and that was legal because you know they're not the play's not over. Yeah. So they, they introduced a new change this year where you could actually give yourself up by diving forward, but it of course has unintended consequences. Yeah. So we had a recent example where um, Bengals Jeff, um, uh, I can't remember the quarterback's name, he, he was ruled down short of the goal line where he was actually diving for the end zone. Yeah. But because he landed just short of the end zone and then his forward progress was stopped but his momentum carried him into the end zone people said well he should have been given the touchdown because he wasn't down by contact Mm. he hadn't um he hadn't been touched but the new rule says you can give yourself up see if you dive to the ground you're giving yourself up and Mm. that was a prime example of where unintended consequences he was diving for the end zone to try and get underneath the tackle and ended up giving himself up and being ruled short. Mm. So, yeah, <laughs> the way rules are sometimes written can be very important. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, I, I had just had visions of Eli Manning a couple of years ago trying to dive forward and fumbling the football. But uh, yeah, uh, Jeff Jeff Driscoll was the quarterback name there. You were, you were, you were thinking of. that's Driscoll. That's the one. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Okay. I, th- I think I think we've covered all we all we've needed to cover. Yeah, I probably have. Of, I'm sure there's more, and if you uh, you want to talk more, I'm always happy to discuss specific plays. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I'm just, uh, so all this is out there. Just go head over to to Football Zebras uh, to check all those out. So you know, obviously there'll be a big big play or two, no doubt, over co- the course of the playoffs, and and no doubt that may lead to the, one of the teams maybe exiting from the uh, Super Bowl run. But and also no doubt we'll get Roger back on the get back on the show to maybe talk us through some of those uh, from the playoffs. Uh, when they do inevitably happen, but uh, Roger, I'm gonna I'm gonna let you go and, and uh, get ready for Christmas. I wish you I wish you all the best, and uh, hopefully we'll speak. Well, hopefully we don't speak over the uh, playoffs because that means uh, all the official <laughs> nothing's happened. Yeah, yeah, the officiating be be better than ninety six percent. 
Yes, let's hope so. Have a good Christmas, Tim. Yes, thank you. Thank you for joining us. If you want to get in contact with Roger, maybe about any call that's maybe happened and get him to take a look at it and maybe explain as to why something was called or wasn't called, you can get him on Twitter at Roger Goodgrove. But Roger, we will speak to you, no doubt, in the future. Great. Thanks, Tim. Roger Goodgrove's there with all the latest on the officials and all the play calls. And say, if you want to check those out, uh, footballzebras.com, I think it was the website there, where you can go and check out all those plays. But uh, that's going to wrap it up now, this side of Christmas for the full 10 Yards podcast. I want to thank each and every one of you out there that listen. Really appreciate you following. Really, really appreciate you letting us in between your ears each and every week. Really appreciate it. We'll hope to see you again the other side of Christmas. I hope you get everything that you want. I hope you've all been good people out there. We will be back at the end of next week. So I hope you all enjoy your Christmas. That's enough from me. Uh, So in the great words of Kevin Cadle, it's bye-bye for now. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to the Full 10 Yards Podcast. Follow us on Facebook or Twitter at Full 10 Yards or email the show full10yards at gmail.com.